Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. Okay, great. Thank you all so much for being here and welcome to our, um, our, our executive interview. We are so excited to have, and I am going to try so hard to say the name correctly, so bear with me, Loras Safi. How'd mm-hmm. I do? Okay, great. <laughs> he is the director of Black Line Vision for Black Line Safety, and we are absolutely so thrilled that he is with us for the next uh, hour or so. Um, just want to remind everybody that if you have a question, you can type it right into the chat. Uh, I will be monitoring it the entire time that the program is going on. Um, and I'll be happy to interrupt. I have permission to interrupt our executive director, Cam Mackey, who I'm going to introduce to you right now. And I hope you all enjoy the program. Cam? Thanks, Michelle. Folks, welcome. Uh, good to see you all again virtually. Um, you know, if you have a question, feel free to drop it in chat, like Michelle mentioned. Um, but I think uh, we're going to have a good conversation here today. Um, so Michelle uh, quickly uh, introduced uh, Laura. I will say for those of you, um, if you got a couple minutes after, check out Blackline Safety. Um, they do some really cool stuff. Essentially, what they do is keep workers in some of the most challenging environments around the world safe and connected. Um, and so it's actually a pretty cool business model. So just uh, feel free to go to their website and geek out on it. Um, so with that, Loras, welcome. Great, great to have you here. We are talking about all things data science. And so uh, thanks for joining us. And thanks, maybe let's, let's, let, let's like start off with, you know, keeping it simple. I hear data science all the time, right? And so I, I suppose, you know, I should be able to say, here's what it is, but, but you know, a lot of definitions, a lot of different interpretations of it. Um, in your mind, what is data science? What does it mean? Right, so uh, thanks for having me here again, Cam. Uh, it seems like this, that this word um, data science, that this new profession is actually the hot profession on the market. Everyone talks about data analytics and data science. So I hear very conflicting definitions on what actually a data scientist does. Uh, So I'm gonna tell you what my definition of it is and has been for the last decade. Uh, A data scientist is kind of like a normal scientist, all the skills that a normal scientist, uh, a physicist, chemist, biologist has, a data scientist has too. The the main thing that a data scientist does is they uh, define hypotheses and then try and prove or disprove the hypotheses using data. And it's as simple as that. Uh, if, if, there's, uh, if there's one big difference between, let's say, an academic scientist and a data scientist is uh, data scientists really deal with industry data and they gather context at different levels of businesses, if, if that makes sense, rather than uh, only designing and experimenting for for a singular reason. Uh, And they they either collect data from multiple different sources, they're they're very good at programming, and they're very good at dealing with large amounts of data that historically no one else has been good at dealing with. So that's kind of what defines a data scientist in my mind. That's great. And so it's it's not as simple as just throwing a bunch of numbers into a computer and the computers do all the work for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, 
that that could be one of the definitions. And, and some of the companies, when they hire for data scientists, they're expecting them to write a line of code or a couple of lines of code and do this machine learning thing. Uh, truly successful data scientists, though, understand what the data means, what the context of the data is, and what the underlying conditions that the data was collected in uh, represents. It's not as simple as writing one line of code and then uh, having having the machine figure it out for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is good because I've seen that happen in sci-fi movies, and sometimes <laughs> you know the code can type, do type, bad type. things. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so so maybe before we kind of you know jump into the, some specifics about about data science, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background because sure. you've had a pretty cool journey <laughs> in your career, you know, with data science. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Uh, long and windy road. Yeah, uh, I would say throughout my life I've been searching for the thing that I'm passionate about and I enjoy doing, which turned out to be data science. But at the beginning, it wasn't really that. So. Uh, I studied theoretical and computational physics. I, I have a master's in theoretical and computational physics. And during my master's and a little bit after, I worked at a couple of particle accelerators. And the, my entire purpose there was to try and uh, find patterns and signals through a sea of data. Yeah, it sounds very close to data science. We didn't call it data science back then. Uh, but we had petabytes of data coming from the Large Hadron Collider, and there's another particle accelerator called Triumph that was uh, in Vancouver, Canada, and we were trying to look for the Higgs boson. I, I was part of the Atlas group. There were uh, 3,000 people looking for it. It's not that big of a deal. There were 3,000 scientists looking for it. I was just one of the people that was looking for it through um, algorithms and statistical methods. After, after about a year or two, I realized that particle physics and working at particle accelerators is uh, mind-numbingly boring and not much changes. Uh, so from there, I went into uh, the other side of the spectrum. I started working in a hedge fund. I, I worked in the financial sector at a hedge fund that automated trading, large frequency trading. Um, and same deal, now things moved really fast, but we had mountains of data that's collected through different brokerages uh, in, in different stock markets. And the idea was statistically find arbitrages. Uh, what can we sell and buy and uh, basically make money off of market inefficiencies, the way that market works. Um, uh, again, after a couple of years, uh, two and a half years, I think this time, I realized that's a little bit of a soulless job and there's very little purpose to it. But the thing, the pattern that I noticed was I, I really like dealing with data and I really like analyzing data. So that's when I went to technology. I worked for a consulting company for a year or two uh, and then eventually made my way to Blackline. And Blackline seemed to be the intersection of all the th things that I like. Uh, we collect large amounts of data, we try to analyze that data. And then the purpose piece is we actually try to, to predict and prescribe conditions to keep people safer. Uh, so I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that we do actually save lives every day. Which is like pretty awesome. And, and so, you know, let's let's maybe kind of dig into that and some of the work that you that you do at at Blackline. And so, so as you talk about keeping you know workers safer, right? Um, 
you know, in our conversations getting ready for this, you started to toss out words like descriptive, predictive, um, prescriptive. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, to, to, to the layman, so, you know, someone who, you know, I know a little statistics, right. But, you know, what are some of the differences from a data science perspective between those terms like descriptive, prescriptive and predictive? Right. Uh, any organization or any group that's trying to use data usually goes through this journey. Uh, the very first step of the journey is to figure out what data sources you want to collect uh, uh, and basically what things you want to keep track of. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start collecting that data, the first step for you to define KPIs, measure KPIs, figure out how things are going, let's say, is what we call descriptive analytics. Uh, in simple terms, it basically describes and shows the data that you've collected thus far. It doesn't really do much with it. It basically just shows it. And you can think of it as, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I've had uh, 1,500 calls today, uh, period. Or I've had $1 billion in transactions today, period. Yeah, you're done. As soon as people see data described and now they have more information on what's going on, uh, there's a couple of things that could happen. One of it is their gut feel or what they think should have happened uh, is, is proved. And they probably feel good about themselves. I knew it all along. We don't need data and technology anyway. Uh, something that happens more often than not, more often than people like to believe, is reality starts diverging away from how people thought things are and how things are progressing. Uh, that really quickly uh, leads people to prescriptive analytics, which is now that I know uh, the state as is, maybe this is not the state where I want to be. How do I go from state A to state B? If my call wait times take a minute and a half and I make want to make it uh, 30 seconds, what can I change or what other measurements can I make to, to, to make that transition? So again, prescribing a solution using data. And this is Basically, the first place that this um, sentiment of data-driven decision-making comes up. What, what data scientists do is they try to dig into uh, what causes your KPIs to be what they are. So what things correlate with one another, what things anti-correlate with one another, and what can we change to achieve uh, what, what, what someone would like to achieve. Uh, but when you think about it, that's kind of after the fact. Things have already happened. We've already measured something. Now you're trying to prescribe how to, how to fix it or how to move it away. This third and the most advanced step, uh, which is probably uh, the, the holy grail for every organization, is predictive analytics. And the idea there is before problems become problems or before my KPIs drop below a certain value or above a certain value, I would like to know that they're about to get there. Uh, so we try to predict using underlying conditions, using different data sources that we collect from different sources, will this thing happen? And uh, you see all three of these all over the place. Uh, any graph that you've seen is descriptive. It's just describing something to you. Uh, things like... Um, I mean, I guess we're in the middle of pandemic. Maybe that's a that's a that's a good example. Things like, hey, uh, don't go to a pub together. 
is prescriptive because people know that if everyone goes to the pub at the same time, uh, things is going to get bad. And then predictive is, uh, hey, if you don't take a specific type of training and try to go into a restrictive area, you're going to, there's a, there's an 80% chance that there's going to be a safety event happening. So don't do that. And that's how we, how we separate the journey for everyone. That's great. And the the examples kind of really help, help paint a picture for me. Um, Jumping ahead. So, you know, a lot of skips audience, um, whatever, you know, title that they have on their business card, they're really interested in the application of data science and any type of analytics towards, you know, I want to help my company, uh, you know, either surprise the competition to grow um, or not get surprised ourselves. So kind of, you know, thinking about, you know, what are potential risks uh, or early warning signs out there. Um, this is like market data though. There's just, you know, tons out there. So any, any thoughts on this kind of this, you know, very common problem now of tons of data, how do you find the signal from the noise? Is, is this a challenge that data science is up to or, or is it really less applicable? Uh, absolutely, it's uh, it's a challenge that data science is up to. It's um, I, I think the most difficult part, and I keep telling this to all industry experts, is that data scientists are not going to replace you. Data scientists need your expertise to be able to understand the problem and use data statistics and programming to actually give you the answer that you want. So I think the most uh, the most difficult part of what, uh, what you're asking about is a professional needs to define a problem uh, clearly. When, when we're talking about, hey, I want growth, the question becomes, do you want to capture more of the current market share? Do you want to break into different markets? Uh, is it different geographies? Is it different industries, et cetera, et cetera? Right. There are actually, uh, data science methodologies that are called unsupervised learning. And this, this, this term, all that it means is it doesn't need help from humans to find patterns. And it does things like tries to find outliers between you and your competition. What are, what are they doing differently from you? Tries to put uh, different companies and different distributions in a given dimension. Again, I don't know, maybe it's the industry or whatever, and tries to figure out, hey, what significant thing are they doing that's helping them, that's different than the average Joe out there? Uh, so these are, these are types of things that actually people are already doing, especially in the financial sector. They, they, they try to figure out their, their, each other's trading algorithms. They try to figure out each other's investment patterns, like big banks' investment patterns, et cetera. Uh, it's only a matter of time that businesses start picking it up as well. Uh, and I, I think we're already seeing it um, happen with places like Amazon or, or, or Shopify. Uh, I, I always, I guess that this has turned into a cliche, but, but data is the most valuable commodity, mostly because Amazon could probably tell you what your competitor does that's better than you, that's worse than you, than, than it's different than you. So if there's market data and you can collect that data, a data scientist can definitely help you navigate that uh, as long as you, you define your problem and make it a laser focused thing that you're trying to do. Gotcha. And, and so, so like you say, the importance is really defining the problem 
upfront. Like again, you said a couple of moments ago, Laura asked, you know, it's not just a line of code and then, yeah. you know, the machine learns the rest. So, so for, you know, so for the competitive intelligence professional who you know, generally is not a data scientist, um, like for, for, where do you start? Is this something where, you know, reasonably one can acquire enough skills or is just the bar high enough where you think, you know, you got to, you know, outsource some of this capability at first or, you know, look to other groups in your company that might, you know, know data science, but not, you know, your particular function. Any thoughts on, you know, what to do to get some kind of return without waiting two years? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things that, again, I, I talk about a lot is um, even though data scientists are not going to replace people, I think every profession, now that there's more data at their fingertips, is going to go towards becoming more um, data science-y. Uh, I'm, I'm just making up an adjective, but yeah. obviously they're not gonna get very deep into statistics or machine learning or coding, but they will think in a data-driven way. Uh, and that cultural shift is happening across all different industries where before you would try and model things, let's say using uh, mathematics, or you would just come up with numbers. Now you can measure those. So you have to think about it in a data-driven way. Mm -hmm. uh, a great place to start is to basically change the framework, the way that you're thinking about problems in a closed system and something that's very well defined to something where you could collect some data and just look at it. I think descriptive analytics is the place where any professional can start. And as soon as they see the state as is, they kind of uh, get familiar with that data-driven decision-making and what does data mean uh, and, and even go as far as, hey, if I collect that extra data point, I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, then that's when you, you can define a good problem and you can basically outsource the data uh, for, for a data scientist or, or, or hire someone to help you out with that. Uh, the thing that the, the one thing again that I caution against is when you go to the market and you try and hire for a data scientist, you might get anyone from someone that's very good at coding to someone that actually solves problems. So you just have to be careful about what type of data scientist you hire. Your first or second data science uh, scientist or the first or couple of projects shouldn't be heavy on coding, should be people that will solve problems because there's incremental value that you can gain the deeper and deeper you go into the data. It's not one big bang and, and suddenly all of your problems are solved. You have to explore and go through the data altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, mean, I love that point because start simple, right? Like you said, start with kind of the descriptive analytic piece, uh, you know, for example, before you get into prescriptive or predictive, you know, don't, don't do some crazy coding. Um, I, I'd just be curious, you know, your experience at Blackline or other organizations, do you, you know, every time you go get coffee, do you get tackled by coworkers who say, hey, I got this great project. Can you, can you kind of come help me out? Is yeah, actually, <laughs> uh, I, I think, yeah, we, we were, um, so we're a hardware manufacturing company. I, I was hired as the first person to basically transform our data here. And after we had that frame of mind shift on how to think about things in a data-driven way, especially since we have a lot of engineers, don't think about it as a closed model and then you, you design things and then that model has to work. Let's collect data and actually figure out if it works. 
the demand was actually so high that in the last three years, we went from just me to 40 people. We, we created a whole separate revenue stream for it. Uh, we were designing better products. We're treating our clients better because now we're more in tune with their needs and, and whether they're happy with us or not. Uh, so yeah, it's, I guess it's a cultural revolution, at least at Blackline. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, um, it, it's funny. I remember a few years ago, I came out of the manufacturing industry and, you know, at first it was, you know, any, any kind of digital talent, you know, anyone that had digital in their resume from any time that was, you know, we can't hire them fast enough or throw enough money. And then, you know, we got more sophisticated in the industry. It was, you know, much more focused around data science and there's still a talent, you know, kind of a, a skills gap there. Um, I love what you said though, about being data science-y. So it, it really speaks to the fact that, you know, data science there are different levels of it, right? You, you, you want to have a center of excellence or, you know, a couple folks who are really, really gurus at it, but you, you need to have that data-driven thinking and problem solving throughout the organization. Um, I guess, you, you know, part of that that we all deal with in every job is at some point we work with data and, you know, you know, whether you're a CEO or, you know, anyone else, you're often dealing with data in a bunch of places that doesn't look the same. So you, you might say unstructured. So, you know, just given that, how do you take, you know, what's a data science methodology or approach of thinking, we got a lot of good stuff out there, but it's everywhere and it's kind of messy. You know, how do you approach a problem like that? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that every organization has. Uh, it's not necessarily just analyzing the data that you have and building models, that's, that's hard. Um, but logistically speaking, for a big company that has desperate data sources all across their organization or even outside their organization with, with third-party contractors, is trying to integrate all data together and centralize it. Uh, I've probably said the word a hundred times. I'm going to say it one more time uh, because context matters. If if your, your data repositories uh, represent a different dimension of something, so let, let, let's just use the... Um, example of a product. If your product specifications are in a particular place, your customer surveys are in another place that's not connected to it, and then your transactions are in another place, you have to bring them together to get context on uh, are there parts of the product specifications that is making my clients not be happy? Uh, is the client satisfaction correlated with um, the, the amount of sales that I'm making in a specific geog uh, geography. Do, uh, I don't know, the English and the Swedish find the same product as, as something that they like. So this, this act of centralizing data to get more context is one of the biggest challenges that I think big companies are realizing they have to, they have to undertake. And as soon as you bring everything together, now you have this thing that in the technical world is called master data. Now you have master data and you know that your master data is your source of truth and then you can do full-fledged analysis. That being said, that doesn't mean uh, you can't do some sort of data science or some level of data science if the data sources are desperate. A good thing about a data scientist is they're skilled enough to bring sources together in an unscalable fashion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then build models off of that, or at least train things and get ready, set the stage for when everything all comes together. 
But when you just think about it in your business, you probably have these pockets of data. You have pockets of data that no one else even knows about. That, that there could be Excel sheet, they could be CSVs, uh, they could be incident reports, whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, identifying it, bringing them together uh, in a central place is a crucial first step to actually building a data science practice. Yeah, that's, and that I think really resonates with, with our audience because, you know, as you know, strategy and intelligence professionals, you know, there's all that external data, you know, some of it's, you know, it could be, you know, public company filings from, from government entities like the SEC. Um, it could be product announcements, you know, job postings, all, all that stuff, which is out there, patent filings in the public domain. But then, you know, I love what you said. You look at the internal kind of data exhaust. You have, you know, trip, trip reports from sales, you know, where they mention something that's deep in the CRM or maybe, and it's, you think about your own, you know, internal colleagues and stakeholders as sources of valuable information and the problem just balloons. And so, so, so for, for, for CI professionals, it, it sounds like you're saying, Laura, that, that even if you're not a data science pro, that you still got to spend a lot of time on that collection and classification so that you have that context. That's, so it's a kind of walk before you run. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 And it's very, um, this might sound counterintuitive. Your organization or you as a group or a person needs to be ready for a data scientist. Uh, again, if there's no uh, data-driven thinking, if, if, if you don't know what data sources you need, if, uh, if the data sources that you collect data from are not clean, et cetera, a data scientist is not as efficient as they could be. So there, there are so many different roles in the data um, data world, end-to-end, -end, everything from uh, data, database administrators, data modelers, data engineers, data analysts, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the very top is a data scientist. So um, there, there's a bit of thinking. It's not as simple as, well, I have a petabyte of data. Let me hire a data scientist. Uh, you, you have to know what you're going to do with it if the data is clean, if it's in a format that you can use, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe, you know, touch on that, you know, one of the issues that's especially important to intelligence professionals is mm -hmm. we want to make sure that any of the data or information that we use was collected uh, and then that we use it ethically. Um, you know, so, so for example, what, uh, you know, what we, we have, if, if, if someone, you know, collected something, they kind of went through someone's trash, that is unethical, probably illegal, we want nothing to do with it. Um, you know, obviously you think about data quality issues, but, you know, any thoughts on, on the role of kind of ethics and transparency, data privacy, et cetera, as, as this becomes faster and bigger and messier? Right. Oh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a difficult topic to, to really talk about deeply. Um, I, I think um, the, the way that I look at it might be a little bit different than the way that other people look at it. There's, I guess there's two schools of thought. And uh, an example that I always use is ambulances in a city. If you have the medical record of every single person in a city and you know where they live and you know how many ambulances you have, you know traffic patterns, then you know how to distribute your ambulances towards the communities where someone uh, might be sicker or is at a higher risk. And that's a data science practice and you can keep doing that in real time and figure out how you should distribute your fleet. 
Then the other side of this is, well, but then if insurance companies uh, get, uh, get their hands on that data, suddenly it becomes this unethical thing where um, their premiums will skyrocket and they can't do anything. So there seems to be a very, very fine line between um, improving people's lives using data, data science, and let's say artificial intelligence in general, and actually exploiting it. I, I think obviously greater minds than mine have been trying to figure out what the ethics around this is. And if, if you guys have followed things like, um, there's been studies that, that proves some artificial intelligence don't detect faces of, of people of color, but then they detect the faces of um, others very easily. Facial recognition works better. Um, it, 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 I guess there, there's a sea of material out there. Yeah. Uh, I try to think of it as collecting data to try and build better models is not actually the problem. I think the problem is along the lines of what people do with it. And as soon as you, you collect a whole bunch of personal information, obviously there's a chance to do evil and there's a chance to do good. Uh, I, I choose to do good every day with it. Uh, but at the same time, the same data that we collect, things like gas exposures, things like where have people fallen down, uh, where's safe and where's unsafe, that could also be exploited. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very difficult topic to talk about. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think it's, as you say, I mean, it's a, it's a huge issue and, you know, we, we, there's no way we can do it justice, although I think he put some good context around it. Um, Another issue, which which I'll you know throw a softball. There's no one answer to this. Uh, Mark raises a good question here. It's it's you know I'll paraphrase. So apologies, Mark, if I kind of mangle your question. It's it's basically saying you know there's data everywhere, and you know in in this kind of exciting transformational time, it's easy to get probably a little too excited about data. That I think some people think that you know more data is better and let's just throw more money at the data people and then all our problems will be solved. Um, and so, you know, he makes the great point that, you know, sometimes there are opportunities or risks where there's just not data, whether it's a lack of data or incomplete, you know, whatever. So I think, you know, the point is that not all problems can be solved by, by data. Um, and that, that way of thinking can create some serious blind spots. Any, any thoughts on that, uh, on that opinion? He's absolutely right. I mean, we, we, we see these hype trains all over the place. At Tech Bubble, the Tech Bubble was, was, was a perfect example. We thought developers and the World Wide Web is going to solve everything. So let's just keep throwing money at it. And I guess we all know what, what happened there. Yeah. It's the same with data. Um, it's not about collecting more. It is not, uh, let's say, a gemstone that no matter what it is, if you collect it, it's going to be worth something at some point. Uh, the amount of data available that you can collect is actually so large that it doesn't even make sense for you to go and collect uh, a whole lot. And that's why I was saying the data scientists will probably not replace experts. Uh, if they don't have context and you give them a problem and they don't know exactly what problem they're gonna solve, their first instinct is going to be, just give me all of your data and let me just figure things out statistically, mathematically, or um, using machine learning. Yep. That's, a, that's a huge pitfall. Uh, sometimes a two-year project 
where you're just analyzing petabytes of data could turn into a two-week project uh, where someone just realized, hey, I just need to collect this extra data point. If I collect it, everything's done. And, and that, that way of thinking usually comes from the subject matter experts. They tell you the, the causes, the underlying conditions, and the results uh, that they're expecting. There, there's, a, there's, there's a reason why they're subject matter experts. Um, and just because you're collecting more doesn't mean you're gonna be more successful. There's actually terminology coming out of it uh, these days. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the concept of a data lake. And in simple terms, a data lake is a place where you bring all of your data, you centralize all of your data. Um, out of this uh, not planning or not knowing why you're collecting data, there's another term that's come up uh, and that has been coined called the data swamp, which is <laughs> where you bring all data together. You don't know what you're doing with it. The data gets deprecated. It's not clean. It's incomplete. And no one knows how to use it. So it just literally sits there gathering dust for uh, years and years. And you, you didn't document it. Uh, you don't know how to connect it to other sources, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, the, 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 the act of collecting data is not going to solve your problems. I think when it comes to making a decision, you have to collect the right data for the purpose that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, and that makes your life a lot easier. I love this because it's interesting listening to a lot of the dialogue around the competitive intelligence profession when we're at our best before we you know, embark on any project, we really understand kind of what's the why, what's the outcome, how will the decision be made? So we're really thinking about, about you know, what's the intended use of the project. And at our worst, a senior leader comes in and says, I want to know everything about this market or this competitor. And we just do a, you know, basically a book report. Um, and it sounds kind of, you know, very, very much an analog with data science where it's like, sure, okay, great, give me access to the data and I'll, I'll do some stuff, then, then you get the data swamp, which is the yep. best phrase yep. ever. So I'm going to give you credit, <laughs> even if you didn't make it, man, it's, it's all you today. So yeah. uh, thanks for yeah. that. No problem. And it, like, like, like I was saying, it doesn't make sense for a competitive intelligence uh, report to include the average height of every individual that's there or, or, or their uh, shoe sizes, like... What is that? What what is that useful for? Nothing. No. Yep. So this, you know, maybe you address this a little earlier. I want to kind of pull on it a little bit more. It's it's about building a model that can be um, valid in unusual times. And so, like my background, I, I spent a bunch of my career around economists who are awesome people. But you know, a lot of a lot of you know, at least traditional economic thinking is you, you take you take, you know, historical performance and you've, you know, based on that, you forecast, you know, future. Um, you know, some weird stuff is happening right now in markets. I mean, it, it's not, you know, completely off the rails, but it's weird. Um, <clears throat> are these the types of challenges where, you know, data can at least be a helpful ally, if not, you know, the answer? Or, or um, do we need to rely a little bit more on kind of human intuition um, than, than we might otherwise in a more stable environment? Yeah, so generally speaking, um, AI and data science won't be able to help with conditions that have never been seen before. Sure. This is in broad terms. Uh, that this futuristic view of an AI can just handle every single situation that comes up in, in the movies. Um, 
is not in our near future. There's probably uh, research studies happening and then there, there's ways that people could handle it, but it's not something that's gonna happen, let's say in the next few decades. Yeah. The, the, the crux of what data science is, is it learns from the past to tell you what you should do right now and what might happen in the future. Then one of the, one of the beauties of it is it can also tell you uh, what conditions would cause an outlier. And I'm just calling him an outlier because we don't know if it's good or if it's bad. And the markets are a great example of this. Uh, if, if anyone's familiar with, with the market terminologies, they, they talk about these black swan events. And the black swan events, usually they refer to it as when the markets go down and everyone starts panicking. And these are not in line with what you would expect to happen in the marketplace. There's nothing changing. Suddenly there's this uh, emotional, illogical thing that happens in the markets and suddenly it drops by 10%. Uh, or no one could see a, a bubble crashing. So it's called a black swan event because again, the past wasn't predicting the future. The thing about the black swans is they could be positive or they could be negative. And data science can tell you the conditions that we have right now are not in line with the conditions that we've historically seen. So a possibility of something abnormal happening is a specific percent. Uh, we can't predict if it's good or if it's bad or what's going to happen. All we know is, hey, um, the markets are not responding the same way that they used to respond. We don't know what the new laws and the rules of the jungle are. We have to collect more data and then be able to figure out what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so even though they can, they, they help in volatile times when, when underlying conditions change, they can be an ally. I don't think uh, they're your silver bullet to base, basically be able to predict the future no matter what happens. That, that's helpful. I think, you know, again, I, I really like kind of one of the themes that you're pulling out for us, which is, you know, nothing's a panacea, nothing will solve all of our problems. And so, you know, data scientists and people with data science skills, I'm going to, you know, stick with that. It, 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 they're incredible, incredibly valuable allies that, but you got to know when to apply it and when to pair that with some other skills. Um, you know, the last question I have, and if we, you know, we've had several already in the chat, but any more, feel free to, to come in. Um, what, what's your kind of walk away advice to competitive intelligence professionals? You know, folks who are probably, you know, think, you know, yep, I'm an Excel guru. I can, you know, do some, some VTA or, you know, VLOOKUP magic. And, um, you know, what, what are some, you know, a couple few things that we might be able to do either ourselves or, you know, where to turn to, to, you know, whether it's a book, training, anything, just to get a little smart on this. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, one is as soon as your data doesn't fit in an Excel sheet, I think that's when the alarm bells should ring. And if any of you have, have hit there, uh, have hit that limit, it's about 1 million rows, I think. So as, as soon as you're writing your V lookup or your index match, whatever your formula is, and then it suddenly takes minutes for your Excel sheet to fill up. Uh, alarm bells should go off that I probably need to do this using other tools. 
and there are others that could help me out with, with doing what I'm doing and do it, do it faster. Uh, the, the, the takeaway, and I think I've seen this across every single industry uh, from particle accelerators to hedge funds and finance to consulting, and now I guess in the manufacturing safety industry uh, is data-driven decision-making and thinking in terms of data is different than what people are used to. They're not used to having the freedom to define what thing they want to measure and then go and uh, implement the system that measures it. Uh, and they don't necessarily think about it in terms of what else might be out there. Usually there's just one source, they deal with that source. Um, or it's a gut feel decision. Or if it's, a, hey, it worked like this in the past, it's just going to continue working like that. Um, and then when I was talking about, hey, if you want to become more data science, you can become more data science. There's two types of courses out there. Uh, one of them is it basically teaches you how to implement data handling and data science implementation. So they're Python coding. Uh, for some people, that works perfectly because they teach data science concepts plus how to implement them. Uh, and and some, of the, some of the younger professionals, let's say that the ones that are just out of school and are just starting in whatever their, their field is, are pumped to learn how to code and basically become more valuable. But that's not necessarily the only way to go because I know there are people that hate coding. I've coded for 20 years of my life. I also don't enjoy coding. It's just a hammer that I have to use every day. Uh, there are courses that go through what does statistical inference mean? And it's not necessarily mathematics. It just tells you how do you define a sample size to be able to infer something from that sample size. If you wanna know if a company is successful, do you look at uh, their data yearly, monthly, weekly, or daily? Because you're gonna get different signals. Which one, which one do you need? Um, and uh, another good one is probably to just generally using business uh, sorry, using data analytics for business. Again, it doesn't require any coding, but it teaches you uh, how to try and get patterns out of your data, whether it's a linear regression, whether it's data mining, old traditional data mining methods, et cetera, et cetera. If you know how it works, if you know how a hammer works, you don't need to be the one that builds a hammer. And that's kind of what I, what I tell everyone. Just kind of know how, how the hammer works so you can communicate, so you can close that communication gap and tell someone that's very good with the hammer what you need them to do, and they're gonna do it. Uh, and yeah, at least that's my opinion. That's, that, that's excellent. I love that you don't have to kind of build the hammer. Um, we got we got a nice question here from, from Duncan. You you touched on a, a couple moments ago. Laura asked just the idea of you know making desperate disparate data less funky and and you know kind of norming it, you know standardizing it, cleaning it. Um, what, one thing that, that sometimes we do in competitive intelligence is win loss. So you know from from a sales perspective, you know why'd we get that deal? Why'd we lose that deal? And, and oftentimes that data is just dumped into the CRM system and it, you know, lots of, lots of challenges with, with, with that. Any, 
any kind of one-on-one level stuff where, you know, not even talking about, about, you know, predicting the future of why we'll win deals, but any, any kind of basics on how to get out of the trap of just throwing junk into the database. That's not useful. Yeah. We're actually going through this with our CRM system uh, today. Uh, traditionally when, when, when people design CRM systems or, or what fields you need to fill out, what are your um, stages of your pipeline are, et cetera, et cetera. They are not designed and thought about in terms of data. There's, there's a couple of uh, 101 things that I think everyone should think about. Number one is stop using free text fields when, when you design uh, systems that collect data. It is the hardest uh, type of data to work with. It requires a very specialized skill set. And a lot of the times, sometimes they're needed, right? Uh, if you have any comments, please leave us a comment. You, you, you need that. If you need to capture emails, you need to capture emails. Right. But other times you can just replace a free text field with a dropdown or something that's preset. Which brings me to my second point. Who is the person that defines what what fields you need to collect and what are the, uh, what are the things that you can select in each field, mm-hmm. which is this practice of data governance. It's, uh, it's a bit of a technical and a bit of a um, fluffy role, let's say, even though uh, data governance people will kill me if they heard I call their job fluffy. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, not, it's not really fluffy. That practice is to understand the business and then come up with what are the fields we need to collect and how do we tag data and how do we save data so that your data lake doesn't turn into a data swamp. So when it comes to something like a CRM, we have a data governance board that takes in the goals of our sales enablement team, which handles our CRM, says, what things do you think you want to collect to be able to predict if something's going to be a win or a loss? And let's figure out how we're going to capture it. Historically, everything that we had was just a text field. We're moving way, way to the other side, which is almost nothing is a text field. You just, you just get to select stuff. You don't get to make up industries, for example. We have a standard list of industries and sub-industries that you could pick, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think the very first step is to just think about uh, what are you collecting and try and just not collect free text fields. It's the easiest thing to implement. And if you're gonna rely on the data later, it's the hardest thing to deal with. It's one of the most scarce um, skill sets out there, uh, natural language processing. Yeah. And there's still research being done on it. All the good people basically go to Google and Amazon and Facebook. Uh, there aren't that many companies that could even afford um, NLP scientists. So it's funny because as I remember, like my most contentious office disagreements with colleagues, it's been about someone who needs like that, you know, that data field in the CRM. And then you have like the IT department saying that's a bad idea. So I mean, that, 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 so that's, that's a continuous <laughs> battle in, in yeah. every organization. So yeah. kind of hit it home there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to, we try to not block the business though. You know, I guess this comes into organization from organization and leader to leader. Uh, I always tell my department, 
that the people that pay the bills are the people that are selling stuff, are the people that are filling things in the sales pipeline. If they want a free text field, give them their free text field. Just tell them the shortcomings, tell them the problems we're going to uh, come across along the way. And if they still say, no, 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 the quarter sales are more important than the five-year vision, give them their text field. Let's do the best we can. Um, And we'll deal with the problems for later. Uh, (laughs) And then some organization obviously don't ever think about the five-year plan. So they get stuck down the road. But, but, you know, the benefit of that way of thinking is like, they'll see you as a business partner rather than a business blocker. Exactly. Yeah. You'll, you'll live to, to see another day and to give them yep. your data science awesomeness. So it's a, it's a good long-term strategy. Yeah, yeah. We're all on the same team, right? The, the, yeah. This notion of, uh, I also want to dispel this notion that data scientists are basement IT coders. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, there are data scientists that are coders and they don't care about the business. In my opinion, data scientists that are worth their salt are entrenched in the business. They understand your business. They understand your commercial model. They understand your sales process. They even understand your organization and why it's set up the way that it is. Uh, Because then whatever analysis, whatever model they build actually pertains to you. It helps you rather than, like you said, be something disconnected uh, and, and, and be a blocker. That is a perfect spot to end there. Um, Laurence, this was a ton of fun. Um, I learned a lot. We, you know, got tons of good uh, engagement in the chat. So on behalf of Skip and and our members want to thank you for sharing your uh, kind of amazing work with us. And uh, we'd uh, love to do anything we can to return the favor anytime. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak. Great. Thanks, Laurence. Have a great day. Thanks, folks. Keep safe. Take care. Bye.